With the election coming up, food banks are in the news again. Um, and a new analysis published on BMJ.com has looked at the rise in food banks and asks, why is that happening? I'm joined by one of the authors of that paper, Rachel Loopstra, who's a postdoc researcher in the Department of Sociology at Oxford University. Rachel, thanks for talking to us today. You're welcome. Um, Just as a bit of background for our listeners who are outside the UK, um, what are food banks in this context that you're looking at? Mm -hmm. Okay, so food banks are run by churches or other community groups, and they're usually open once or twice a week. And they're places that people can go um, when they're in need to pick up a hamper of food. Um, So in our study, we were only looking at food banks that are part of the Trussell Trust Food Bank Network, um, because to our knowledge, they're the only organization in the UK that has consistently tracked their members' activities over time. So the Trussell Trust um, doesn't represent all food banks. There are other independent ones that um, operate in the UK, but they run a franchise model whereby church groups approach the organization and express an interest in starting a food bank, and then they help to um, get their food bank started and support their operations throughout. Um, And they also set standards for how food banks should operate. Mm -hmm. And who uses these? I mean, is it just free to go up and and request some food or, or how does it work? Yeah, so the Trussell Trust specifically operates a referral system. So they require that individuals um, who use their food banks have already been to visit a frontline care professional. So either a physician, social workers, um, someone working at Citizens Advice Bureau, where they've already explained their um, the kind of crisis or hardship they're experiencing. And then from that frontline care professional, they receive a referral voucher, which they then take to their local Trussell Trust food bank um, to be able to receive a food parcel from them. And then that food parcel typically contains about three days worth of food relative to their household size. Right. Um, And as I said, you know, this has been uh, in the news and they've talked about uh, a massive rise in the number of food banks in the last year since austerity um, policies have come in and and people have been asking us there a link there. Um, Mm -hmm. Kind of historically, what have the number of food banks been and has that been steady or has there been a, a sort of general increase over time? Yeah, so I think historically in the UK, there have always been places kind of offering frontline um, food to people in need, typically serving um, homeless populations um, and people with you know um, extreme vulnerability, so things like soup kitchens. But the food bank model is, is new in the UK. It was first in, um, initiated by the Trussell Trust in 1999, and then they decided to franchise the model in 2004. Um, so looking back at the number of food banks operating, however, even though they decided to franchise in, in 2004, in 2006 there were only um, food banks operating in seven local authorities. And then by 2009, the number had slowly creeped up to where there were 29 local authorities that had a food bank, but it was after 2009 that they rapidly spread. So by uh, 2013, there were food banks uh, operating in 251 local authorities. Um, So there has been a a fairly large increase then. Um, Yes. So you've decided to to look at what has been fueling that increase. because it's been attributed, as I said before, partially to austerity, or um, the counter arguments being that a greater, in, you know, more food banks are, the more people are aware, and the more people are attending them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you decided to to try and 
pick that apart. Um, How did you do that? Well, we wanted to test two things. So first was looking at this expansion of food banks operating across the UK. So testing to see is there a pattern of where they're opening or, you know, is this just kind of a a new popular thing? They're just opening wherever people are interested in kind of doing this kind of model. So we first looked to see if there was evidence that food banks are opening up in areas experiencing more hardship as evidenced by higher unemployment, greater cuts to local authority spending and then greater cuts to welfare benefit spending, while adjusting for other factors that could also influence um, whether or not a community decided to start a food bank. So, for example, the wealth of an area, because it takes resources to start a food bank, um, but then also the proportion of the population that identifies as Christian, because Trussell Trust food banks are operated by church groups. Mm. And then secondly, we wanted to look at where, um, what uh, is related to the and amount of food that food banks are distributing. So here we looked at, again, is there evidence that there's more food parcel distribution happening in areas, again, with greater hardship, uh, those same indicators, um, but then also accounting for things that may influence, you know, um, promotion of food bank uh, banks in the community. So things like how long has the food bank been established in that area, and then the number of food banks. So trying to get at that supply side um, that's um, been attributed to to more people using food banks. Mm. And you've used, as you said, the Trussell Trust um, and their data collection to to have a look at this. How good is their data? Is it consistently collected across time? Mm, yes. So since 2006, they've been um, collecting um, data from their individual food bank members on the number of of food parcels um, distributed. Um, So like any organization that has been starting up, you know, there, there are, I think there's been bumps along the way, but we use data only from 2010 forward. And this was uh, after a time that they went to an automated system. So um, every week, food banks enter the number of food parcels that they gave out. One limitation of the data, especially when we were looking at um, food parcel distribution, is that it's not... Um, it's, it's the number of food parcels given out. It's not um, household specific. So there's possibility. And, I mean, we had to adjust for population size, um, but there is possibility that there's double counting there. And, and they haven't yet tracked kind of the number of individual households receiving food parcels. Sure. Uh, is there any restriction on the number of food parcels that a household can get in, say, a month from... from- yeah. Yes, not in a month, actually. They they restrict um, households from getting food parcels to a, a total of three what they define as crises. So someone can go for a food uh, to receive a food parcel and can be, um, uh, you know, for, when they're experiencing hardship. And then if they receive another referral for another hardship, that will be limited to, to three times. So they're... they're um, reason for this is that you know they want to be people to then be looking to other forms of support and to resolve you know why are they continuing to continuing to experience this hardship. So it's like a case of just one household is then potentially going every week and that's been counted again and again and again. Yeah, no, that's that's unlikely just because of the restrictions in the system. Yeah. Sure. So when you um, you got this data, you decided to to analyze it. How did you do that? Um, Kind of what models did you use? Mm -hmm. So for the first analysis, looking at where food banks were initiated, we used a legged logistic regression model. So you're just using a variable 
um, a binary variable indicating whether or not uh, a first food bank was opened in a local authority in a given year. And then we censored observations for that local authority after that. So they were dropped after first food bank initiation. Um, and we examined that in relation to the economic conditions in the local authority for the previous two years, um, with the rationale being that it, you know, if if communities are identifying hardship in their community, it will take time for them to then be able to initiate a food bank. So that's why we used a leg structure. And then for the second analysis, we used a linear regression model to examine how the prevalence of food parcel distribution in a local authority, again, related to the economic conditions, but in that given year. So again, thinking that for people to go, it would be matched to what they're experiencing at the concurrent time. Um, and then we, uh, again, looked at um, food parcel distribution in relation to those uh, indicators of economic hardship and, and spending cuts, um, and then also adjusting for the years that food banks were running and the number of food banks operating in a local authority. Sure. And obviously anyone who wants to look at the detail of that should go and have a look online. It's, um, it's all laid out there. But when you did your analysis, um, what did you find? What's fueling the rise in these food food banks? Yeah, well, first, when we looked at where food banks are opening, we found that the likelihood that a food bank was first initiated in a local authority was related to unemployment in, in the local authority in the previous year, as well as to the magnitude of spending cut in local authority spending in the previous two years and then um, to the magnitude of spending cuts in, in uh, welfare benefits in the previous year. Um, and then secondly, when we looked at where food banks were being more used as indicated by food parcel distribution, we found that more food parcels were being given out in areas, again, with higher levels of unemployment and that experienced higher levels of, of welfare spending cuts as well as areas that experienced uh, or that had higher levels of job seekers allowance claimants that had been experiencing sanctions, meaning that their benefit had been cut off. Mm. So it is related then to the conditions people find themselves in rather than increased knowledge and and increased mm -hmm. willingness to go to these. Yeah, well, as expected, we did see that there was a relationship, you know, with um, the number of years that a food bank was operating and the number of, of food banks. You know, if, the, if, if a food bank isn't in an area um, or there are fewer of them per capita, um, you know, it is harder for people to reach food banks. So we did see that that, that, that was a factor. Um, and there were significant associations with those, those two um, variables. But I think importantly, over and above those supply-side factors, we saw these strong relationships with welfare cuts and um, benefit sanctioning. Mm. And, you know, how confident can you be about that, given limitations of that are, are always in place with data modelling? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, some limitations of the data are, first of all, these are only Trussell Trust food banks that we were um, looking at. So we know that there are other food banks open in local authorities. There are other factors that also influence whether or not people uh, are able to use food banks than we were able to account for. Um, but I think when we think about how that would influence our findings, they would tend to bias our results towards the null. So if anything, I think we probably underestimated um, you know, the relationship between mm. these factors because we weren't able to account for um, other food banks that may have opened in areas um, with high levels of need because they were opened by another organization, for example. Mm. 
Um, I mean, we are in election time, and and hopefully it's it's papers like yours that will garner some attention and and lead to that. Um, lead to changes in policy that might alleviate some of the food poverty that we're we're seeing increasing mm. in the UK. Um, I mean, if you could say anything to the people drawing up manifestos at the moment, what would that be? Mm-hmm. I think two things are really important. Um, first of all, you know, food bank data is providing only very limited insight into the number of people that are um, facing not having enough food to eat. So I actually have come from doing work in Canada and we regularly monitor food insecurity there. And routinely we see that only about one in four people who experiencing experience not having enough food to eat use food banks for, for a variety of reasons. Um, so we don't actually know the extent of the problem in the UK and we don't know um, necess- you know the full range of factors influencing this problem. So there's an urgent need for for food insecurity to be monitored in the population, and I think that should be part of um, you know uh, it, measuring progress on poverty. We need to know you know what's happening with this problem over time, and and then to really be able to understand the drivers of it. Um, and then secondly, you know I think we we need to be looking at whether income supports are. Uh, adequate to ensure that people have enough income for food and and certainly this has you know become a major question with um, people experiencing cuts to their welfare benefits um, but then also you know wages stagnating um, and then coupled to not having um, uh, adequate income supplements to, to ensure that it's it's at a, mm. a, a adequate basic level. Um, Well, if you're interested in reading more about that analysis, uh, it's available online called Austerity Sanctions and the Rise of Food Banks in the UK. Uh, Yep, as I said, now available on thebmj.com. Rachel Loopstra, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you very much.